Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. We've started a new series for this summer, and I'm calling it Be the Church. It's in the book of Acts, just looking at the key passages and key themes in the book of Acts with the whole goal of rediscovering who God wants us to be as the church, not to play church, not to do church, not to even be called a Christian, but to be the church, be a Christian. And so what are those key elements? And we begin in chapter one with this time with Jesus. We're gonna see three things in this passage. We're gonna see the proclamation, the simple proclamation that the early church proclaimed as the gospel. We're gonna see the power that the early church relied upon, and then we're going to see the purpose of the church. And all of this is to crisp and and refocus our understanding of what it means to be the church. We begin with the proclamation in verse one of chapter one. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Here we see the three things that are apparent in the proclamation of the gospel. But in the context, he lets us know, Luke is telling us that he's writing to a man named Theophilus. Now this is probably a wealthy person, uh, a person that's probably even hired Luke uh, to be able to write all of the things that he knew down for posterity so that both he as a becoming believer would know all the truths of the gospel but they would be held for posterity as they have been in scripture. And I want you to see, first of all, at the beginning of Luke, the gospel, what you might call part A of Luke's writing, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And then here at the beginning of Acts, part B of his writing, he says all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now I couple those together for you just so that you and I can understand Luke's intent here. He's letting us know that everything we're going to read in the book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry. In Luke, It's what he began to do, and then in Acts, it's Jesus continuing to do only now through his apostles, and I like to think he's continuing to do through you and me. And there's three parts of the proclamation that becomes clear in these three verses. First of all, Jesus' suffering on the cross for you and me. Notice it says in verse three, after his sufferings. Did you know there's 20 different sermons or speeches in the book of Acts and at least eight of them that are proclamations 
to people who don't know Jesus, they all contain something of the cross and the sufferings of Jesus. This is at the core of what you and I proclaim. And you'll notice I'm using the word proclamation. I like that word because it seems to be free of of the connotation that you and I have when we hear the word preaching. Oftentimes I'll say to my friends, I don't like a preachy person. And forgive me if I ever, as a pastor, come across to you as a preachy person. Preachy has gained a negative connotation in our culture as someone who's darn right, as someone who's got an attitude, maybe someone who's full of themselves, and in someone who talks down to people. I like the word proclamation because it's the idea of heralding good news for you and I. And it's darn good news that Jesus died for you and me. He suffered. And the purpose of that was that you and I would be forgiven. Justice is a big word today. And it seems today that everyone claims that word to be a description of who they are and what their cause is. But justice originates with God and justice, God's justice, the justice that the Messiah brings both at the cross and at the second coming is a full robust justice that will leave no distant shore untouched. God's justice is going to permeate everywhere, and guess what? The good news and the bad news is it comes to your heart and soul. And when it comes to my heart and soul, there are things in me that are unjust. There are things in me that need forgiving. And that's why Jesus came. At the cross, we deserved punishment. That was God's justice. And Jesus took it instead for you and me. God's low tide exposes all that's there of you and I, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Jesus washed it all away. And we're gonna celebrate that at communion. But the other part of our message, our proclamation, is the resurrection. It says here again, he presented himself to them and gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. That's a point that most Christians have never noticed, that after the resurrection, Jesus continued to show his resurrected body over 40 days, reappearing. And when he would reappear, it wasn't just an apparition. It was a physical body. Many times he would eat with the disciples to prove that he wasn't a ghost and he would allow the people to touch his body, proving that his resurrection was physical. The resurrection is something that I personally have struggled with because you and I would know uh, that it's not something that science would want to celebrate. Uh, Science would say, well, we haven't replicated it yet. We haven't put it into a test tube yet. And it defies all of the ways that we understand nature to be. But isn't that the point? If it was possible to replicate it and do it over and over again, 
it wouldn't be a miracle. The resurrection is an absolute miracle. The reason I have struggled with it is I've tried in my early days to disbelieve the gospel. I've tried to say what if my faith in Jesus can be shaken, it can be rocked. And what's always brought me back to the solidity of the truth of Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Don't you think that the resurrection, if it was a hoax, if the disciples had made it up, if it really didn't truly happen, and it was kind of a make-believe good ending to a bad story where their hero died, don't you think that one of the disciples would have cracked? That is, under torture, under martyrdom, and they all died for their faith. Wouldn't one of them said, just kidding, Uh, we made it up, it seemed like a good way to keep the story going, but not one of them cracked. Why? Because it happened, and they knew absolutely it happened, and that's been the strength of the Christian message for 2,000 years throughout the world. The resurrection truly happened, meaning his forgiveness for you at the cross is true, and the resurrection and the strength of the resurrection is true. And then the third part of the proclamation is the kingdom of God. It tells us here that he appeared to them over 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. I laugh about this concept because I've found that many of us in democracies and particularly those of us uh, from the history of um, rationalism, we celebrate democracy, but we celebrate individualism. And part of individualism is that I'm a self-made person and you can't tell me what to do and I'm free and I am gonna do what I want to do as an expression of me. And that's wonderful for America, but it doesn't work well for the kingdom of God because you know when Jesus comes into your life and my life to be king, he comes in to be monarch, to be ruler, to now be the master of your life and the master of my life, to help us redecide what it means to be truly human to help us with our moral decisions and how we treat people and to give us the strength to live in the kingdom of God. Yeah, the kingdom of God is a messenger coming to the doorway of your city gates and saying, repent, the kingdom of God, the rulership of Jesus is standing at the door of your life. Will you open the door of your heart to him to be not only savior, and Lord. Here's the problem we have with modern lingo. You'll hear me or other evangelists say, would you like to accept Jesus into your heart? Now think of those words. You are getting, giving Jesus permission. All right, Jesus, you've been a good boy. You have behaved yourself well. I am now gonna let you come into my life. And as he comes into our, your life, what part of of your home, what room are you going to put them in? It's a good question. So the language has to change a little bit from just 
accepting this guest into your life to surrendering to the Lord of your life. So those three parts are your proclamation and my proclamation to the world and what we have accepted. We believe that he died for our sins, that he rose again from the dead, and he wants to be the Lord of our lives. I wanna move on quickly for you and I to see now the power that is in the early church. Verse four tells us on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For, the, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we have the proclamation and now he speaks of the power. You and I need power. We need power to proclaim the gospel. We need power to live the gospel. And Jesus promises us he's gonna put your fingers in the socket and empower you and I with this new faith. But notice it happens, he speaks about it while he's eating with them. I find some irony here that he's just kicking back with the disciples, he's resurrected. It's one of the days of the 40 days that he's appeared to the disciples and in this relaxed kickback, eating Middle Eastern meal, Jesus says to them, maybe he's got a little bit of pita bread in his hand, he's dipping it in the olive oil, and as he takes a bite, he says, by the way, remember to stay in Jerusalem for a while till you receive power. You're gonna need to receive power. Now, why is that important to me? I like the natural, supernatural moment that's happening here. Whenever we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of supernatural, and we think of dynamism. And oftentimes, when we want the supernatural, we begin to behave unnatural. We begin to kind of become theatrical and our voice changes and we uh, get dramatic because that's becoming more like the Holy Spirit. But notice, Jesus doesn't do that. I think the Spirit gives us permission to become more natural. So if God is going to give you a prophecy or God is going to speak to you to lay your hands on someone to be healed, why does it have to be electrified and dramatic? Why wouldn't it be very natural? While you're eating, God speaks to you or shares a thought with you. You see, if we compartmental God to just those dramatic, supernatural, churchy moments, God's not gonna be present in our lives a lot because most of our life is natural. So Jesus wants to be in your natural, day by day moments, speaking to you and to me. So, but the command is this, that you and I need power. We just do. With all of our ingenuity, with all of our brilliance, with all of our resources, it's not enough. We need Jesus. And he promises us more of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. He brings us the presence of Jesus. The text here calls the Holy Spirit 
the promise of the Father. Such beautiful language. We love those two words, Father and the word promise. I love promises. Free toy inside. Open up a a Chinese uh, fortune cookie. I love promises. But the greatest promise of all, Luke 11 tells us, is the Spirit bringing us the presence of the Father. Paul unpacks this same idea by telling us the Spirit brings us the Abba sense, where the Spirit cries out inside of us, Abba. And Abba is that Aramaic word for daddy. That adoption sense that that God my Father loves me. So it's not just drama and, and dynamism that the Spirit brings. It's actually interpersonal relationship and encounter with God. He says the Spirit is to baptize us and he uses that, that verb, baptized, and I love that because it's a word that depicts us being overwhelmed, becoming wet, immersed, not in water, but actually in the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. Now, the Bible never says that this baptism has to be associated with this gift or with this experience, this encounter. He leaves it free form for God to come to you and to me in a way that God wants to, in a way that relates to you and to me. So maybe he comes to you in, in, in an overwhelming way. Maybe he comes to you with this particular gift, like prophecy or a vision or a sense of peace or the gift of tongues. Or maybe it's in its own unique way that would mean something to you. And guess what? It's not just once. We are filled and refilled over and over again. I love the passage in Luke, excuse me, Acts 3, which depicts the apostles crying out again after they've been filled in chapter two. And and it says they were all refilled with the spirit again. So these labels, these compartments, beware. Go for the promise and go for God the Father working in your life and cry out for him to fill you day by day by day. The spirit when he's filled in our lives, it's like a hand coming into a glove, filling the entire glove. But sometimes my sense in my life is that the hand is only halfway in the glove. You see, I leak. Um, I was filled with the Spirit, but now I'm half full of myself. And nobody wants to be full of themselves. So we need daily refilling, asking God, to have his promise in my life. The third thing that's in this passage, we have the proclamation, the the power, and now the purpose. And this is key for us to be the church. Verse six, you're still there, right? Hang with me. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Doesn't this sound like the 20th and 21st century church? 
with all the books about the end times and all the predictions of how it's gonna happen and when it's gonna happen. Is it gonna be now? Is it gonna be during this COVID season? It's exactly what we wanna know. When are you coming, Jesus? And Jesus asks, answers their question in a way we need our question answered. It is not for you to know. Do you know what that means in the Greek? It is not for you to know. Now what part of it is not for you to know do we not know? We all think that there's something that we are supposed to know that he said it is not for us to know. We have some wonderful truths from Revelation and from the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and some snippets from the Apostle Paul in Thessalonians, but beyond that, The dates and the times are not for us to know, but this is what is for us to know. You will be my witnesses. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. There is a God, it is not you, it is not me, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and here it is, folks, drum roll, please. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The purpose of the church, meaning the purpose of every individual Christian is to be his witness. Jesus said this quite clearly at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. The purpose of the church is and has been to be witnesses for Christ. We live in a secular humanistic age which has caused us to turn inward to find our purpose in ourselves. And we enter into ourselves like a house of mirrors chasing ourselves book after book podcast after podcast, and Jesus warned us. He said, if you want to find yourself, you must lose yourself. But if you will lose yourself first, you will find yourself. C.S. Lewis said, the best way to find yourself is to transcend yourself. Find God, find his purpose for you, not your purpose without God. And God's purpose for you and me from the very beginning, Genesis 1.26 is to be the face of God. I can't find myself without God. It's impossible. And once I find God, I hear him say, now go be my face to creation, to this world. Be a witness. The word witness connotates the idea of testifying. It's a word that's used still to this day in a courtroom. It's to give evidence, it's to confirm, it's to demonstrate. So you and I are human witnesses. We're signposts that are pointing not to ourselves, but to someone else. It's to the validity of Jesus, who he is as a person and what he has done for you and me. And it's to go to the ends of the earth. 
Everyone needs to know about the suffering of Jesus. Jesus. Everyone needs to know about the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone needs to become a believer and a witness of Jesus. The church in my lifetime became a castle. The church became a monastery that hid itself from the world. And we found ourselves aimed and, and, and weaponized to aim at culture and to shoot at culture constantly and say what is wrong with culture and why we need to flee culture. And it's not that we don't need to be discerning, we do. But that is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to invade culture with the witness of Jesus Christ, to go out of the castle, to drop down the drawbridge, and go out, not just for an evangelistic crusade, but day by day with my neighbors and my friends. So here's a question for you. Who are you praying every single day that they might discover the love of Jesus? Who are you purposely becoming a witness to? So there's the proclamation, there's the power, and the way we experience the power is not uh, just hoping that I get some power. We experience as we get out of the boat and walk on water, when I step out to say or to do something for Jesus, the power will meet us. And thirdly, uh, that we would be experiencing the purpose, that we would be fulfilling our purpose as witnesses. John Wesley, living uh, in the 1700s, he uh, became an example for all of us. And Wesley, uh, he was raised an Anglican and he was ordained as, as a priest in the Anglican church. But he had this anointing to proclaim the gospel and he did something daring one day. He went outside the castle walls, the church, and he preached to coal miners who had to work every day in poverty and Wesley realized they weren't getting the message so he went to them and he had all these people responding and discovering the love of Christ. And there was pushback against John Wesley and one of them was George Whitfield, his friend. And, and he says, you can't do that. It's not right to go out of the church and to preach sermons out of the church. You need to do it in the church. And Wesley said, oh yeah, come and see. And he double dared George Whitfield to come with him to the coal mines. And George Whitfield at the coal miners lunch break he preached the gospel and he, and he was hooked. He found out, oh my gosh, we've forgotten what needs to be happening outside the church, not just inside the church. And that's where I wanna end today, that we would realize that the way you and I, as we reemerge out of COVID, redoing church is to be the church. And to be the church means to rebuild the church from the outside in, not from the inside out. 
If we build the church from the inside out, we'll never get to the world. We'll never get to the other ends of the earth. Because otherwise, we'll just start with our logo. We'll start with our bylaws. We'll start with all of the great things and how we want to decorate the inside and how we want to meet and how we want their worship to be and what's my favorite song and what's my favorite sermon and how we're going to do this, 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 this. And we're gonna forget about the world. What we need to do is be reminded that the church is the locker room. It's the training center. Yes, we worship. Yes, we study. Yes, we confess. We celebrate communion. But then 90% of our lives is being witnesses, full of the power, and we know what the proclamation is his suffering, his resurrection, and his lordship in our lives. So let me ask you, who are you praying for? Are you looking for those opportunities to proclaim the good news of Jesus? Are you depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, asking him to fill you daily? And are you praying for those people that we might be witnesses too. And let me just give you a nudge to step out of the boat and become who God has called you to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for this portion of the book of Acts. And God, we invite you to do this work in our lives. And now, Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Would you, Holy Spirit, because you're here, wherever two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst, you are here. Would you do a work in our lives and would you empower us and would you convince us of the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ? We pray, amen. I wanna leave you with some parting thoughts My wife, 30 years ago, had a dream, and she shared it with me, and it was shortly before we moved back to Carlsbad. We had been on the East Coast uh, for nine years planting churches, and we finally were returning to our home state of California. And my wife had this dream. She dreamt that she came to kind of a gathering of Christians. It was kind of like maybe a Christian festival. There are all these tents and Christians around and they're all debating. They were talking about when Jesus was gonna come again. They were debating on how you get the power of the spirit. They were debating scripture. You know how Christians love to debate things. And she heard somebody say, there's a fountain up on the hill and at the center of the fountain is a lion. And the legend is that when the lion comes to life, the power of the Holy Spirit, like living water, is going to flow. And she thought, wow, so there's a fountain at the top of the hill that has this legend? I don't wanna be with the Christians that are debating all this stuff, I wanna go to the fountain. So she walked up to the fountain, and she was saddened to see that she was the only person there. And she was looking at the beauty of the fountain, and As she stared, she thought, well, maybe I should just pray. And she began to pray, and the lion came to life. 
And the lion bid her to step into the fountain and to dance with her. And as she did, the fountain began to overflow and she was getting all wet with the water and she thought to herself, this is so sad. Where are all the Christians? What we need today is the living water, the living spirit of God to freshly cause us to be the church. What we need today is people that will actually believe this simple proclamation, this simple power, and become witnesses, not of ourselves, but of him. And to come away with Jesus, and we've done that today in this sacred moment. So now, as you go forth, let me pray a blessing on you. May God richly fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. May God convince you of his suffering to forgive you, his power of the resurrection and of his lordship in, his, in your life. And may he make you a witness of his love, both in your life and your words to this world. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.